Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. This is part two, okay? So so part one last week, we talked about the danger of, of having a compartmentalized faith, where the way a lot of people live is you've got your Jesus life over here, you got your spiritual life, you got your church life, you know, you do that thing, and then you got your it life over here, and you got your sex life, your marriage life, your dating life, and those two things are compartmentalized, but a compartmentalized, you can't have a compartmentalized faith following Jesus. You can't ask Jesus, hey, get in the car and keep him in the passenger seat. Jesus does not ride in passenger seats. Jesus likes to, wants to ride. He's, he, he's called to ride in the driver's seat. You invite Jesus in. You get out of the driver's seat into the passenger seat, and Jesus gets into the driver's seat. Okay? That, that is what a compartmentalized faith isn't. It's where Jesus rules all of you, but we have got to be careful and guard against a compartmentalized faith that just invites Jesus into a part of our lives and not all of it, okay? So a part of our it life, though, that we've got to invite Jesus into, a part of our it life that we need to invite Jesus into is our sex life. That kid is amazing. What's her name? Amariana. Amariana? Your timing was impeccable. We're going to throw her. I know. How much did I pay her? You get a birthday party. Wherever you want, wherever you want a birthday party, you got it. Because that was impeccable timing right, right there. Okay, look. Today we're going to talk about, about sex. Now, everyone take a deep breath. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Lacey came, my sister told me she's the person, the connections coordinator here, and she came and said, hey, John, we've got a lot of first-time guests here. I'm like, okay. It'll be a little awkward for them on this first week. Hey, welcome to our church. We're going to talk about sex. <laughs> so if it is your first time here, we don't talk about this every week. You just picked a very special week to be here. All right, so just hang on. Hang on to the seat in front of you. Hang on to the sides. Put your seatbelts on. But, but here's the thing, right? Here's what I'm not trying to do. I'm, I'm not trying to be crass. So I'm not trying to talk about technique. <laughs> I'm not trying to talk about none of, none of that stuff, okay? I'm, 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 I'm trying to make this as less awkward, yet as... Purposeful as possible. Now, because um, I know when I was in youth group, there was, you know, youth pastors tend to want to try to be over relevant. I was in youth ministry for like 10 years, so I know we kind of try to do some shock jock sorts of stuff, and I don't want to actually do that to you, but I remember growing up, youth group, I was 15 years, years old. The youth pastor there, he was doing a series, love, love dating, sex, and stuff like that. And right before we left one, one week, he goes, hey, everybody, 
next week. You know, he's talking to, to like 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, and 17-year-olds. He's like, next week, I'm going to tell you how to have the best sex ever. You know, and I'm like getting stuff out of my seat, and I'm like, what kind of place is this? <laughs> you know, where it was like really awkward, and like, what? What are you talking about, right? So, so here's, here's the thing, right? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to make it awkward. I'm, I'm not trying to do a shock jock. I'm not trying to be crass. But at the same time, I don't want to be scared to talk about it either. I don't want us just to sweep it under the rug and just, just, just be like, well, something that the Bible speaks a lot about. We're just, we're just not going to talk about it as a church because we're scared of it. As a church, we can't be scared to talk about topics that affect you. And you know it does. And that's one thing last week we talked about was it matters. And it, your love, dating, marriage, sex, life, all of that stuff matters to you. I know it. Why? Because some of your greatest joys and some of your greatest stresses and some of your greatest pain in your life is directly, is directly related to your it life. Your marriage, your sex, your dating, and your relationships. It matters and you know it does. You know the joy that comes with it, but at the same time, you know the pain that comes with it as well. And what I don't want to do as a church is, like I said, I don't want to be crass, but I don't want to just say we're not going to talk about it. As a church, y'all, we've got to confront this. Why? You have a culture, a tsunami of culture out there telling you how you should live your sex life. Putting, putting in you marketing material. Images in your mind. It's just a tsunami that if, here's the thing, as a Christ follower, you aren't intentional about feeding yourself with the truth of God's word, the tsunami will overtake you. And instead of separating yourself and being as a Christ follower different and treating sex as the God-given gift that, that it is, we can easily fall into viewing it, seeing it, and practicing it, and there's no difference between the church and the culture. And we've got to confront it. And the bottom line is this. Here's the thing. I know talking about stuff like, or talking about sex can bring up a lot, possibly, of guilt and shame. And I want you to know that whatever sort of feelings this sermon today brings up, whether it's guilt or shame or condemnation, or just, we're, we want to bring you to freedom. We are not about guilting you or shaming you or condemning you. That's not how Jesus brings change into your life. And we're not going to be a church that guilts you and shames you and condemns you. We want to be a church that helps you become free and helps you live in the freedom that Christ, that Christ offers and Christ gives you. That, you know, really what we say at our church is this. Our overarching vision is to help all people experience life change. We believe Jesus came to bring life. But tangibly what that change looks like is, first off, knowing Jesus. Secondly, finding freedom. Third off, discovering your purpose. And fourthly, making a difference. We believe this, that Jesus came to ultimately bring you life. And that sort of life is this. It's freedom. It's freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So look, this sermon, whatever it digs up, whatever it does, because I, I don't know what I say sometimes, what it's doing in your heart. Because the Holy Spirit's working uniquely in each heart here. What I say could be completely like whatever to somebody else, but at the same time, it's bringing change in someone else's life. 
So the truth is, is this, whatever I say today, whatever feelings it brings up in, 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 in you, and whenever you engage it, my prayer is that you would push aside those feelings of guilt, shame, and condemnation, and you would say, no, that my heart and my intention and my motive is to see you live free and be and do all that God has called you to do. Because he wants, he loves you, and he wants the best for you. Now, I know this, right, where I want to ask you this question. How do you view and think about sex? Not asking you whether you like it or not. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, what is your foundational belief about the purpose of sex? Because I believe all of us act out of a fundamental belief about what we think about sex. In other words, our sexual activity, our sexual outward expression comes from a fundamental belief inside of us, whether you know it or whether you don't. Whether it was shaped by culture or it was shaped by an experience. Whether it was shaped by the church, whether it was like, you've got a foundational belief. But the belief isn't shown simply by what you think. The belief is shown by how you act, right? Because true faith, right? Have you ever seen Christians talk a big game but not walk it? And you immediately question the words that they say, basically, if you say it but you're not doing it, you don't really mean it, right? The bottom line is this, is that Christians do a good job of, of talking about, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. The, then why is divorce in the church at the same rate of the culture? Pornography is a $13 billion industry in the United States. Thirteen billion. It 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 makes generates more money than the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and professional hockey combined. The number one day for pornography use is Sundays. We've got to examine not just what do we say about sex, not just what do we think about it. But what is your fundamental belief, what is your fundamental belief about it that expresses itself not in what you say or hope to do, but in what you actually do, how you actually express it? And I think you know what your fundamental belief is by a couple things. Number one, it's shown by who you'll do it with. You know, if you just think sex is some sort of animal instinct that just, oh, I got an urge, I need to fill it. It was all been a process of billions of years. It's a sort of just like evolutionary need that we have, you know, that it's just I feel I do. If that's how you fundamentally see sex, then there's probably not a lot of people you won't do it with. Number two, how you fundamentally look at it will determine when it should be done in a relationship. If you view it as being something that just you, whatever you do, you have fun, you make bacon, it's like you hook up, shack up, break up, hit it and quit it. It's like there's probably not going to be a whole lot of care in your life about when you do it. But if you see sex as being something sacred, if you see sex as being something set apart that, that God has created to be done at a certain point in a certain time in a, in a 
relationship, if that's your fundamental belief, then that will obviously be different. Third, I think it'll also determine how it will be enjoyed, whether you view it as a duty or, or a delight. I also think that it'll also show what outlets you will use to consume it. The bottom line is this, though. Trying to define sex in our culture is just really, really funny because whenever I say sex, you might think about, you know, who, who, who knows? And I think if we're honest, we have a Bill Clinton view of sex. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you don't, go on Google, you know. But it's kind of like, did you have sexual relations? I did not have sexual relations. Well, what then did you have, Bill? Okay. And that's what I think we've got to be careful of is, 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 is that people are good at finding loopholes. People are good at finding, well, and I mean, that's not technically, that's not technically sex. So here's the thing. I want to define sex today as whatever other word you put in front of it. Okay? Whatever other word you want to put in, put in front of it, that's what I'm talking about today. Okay? I believe we have three fundamental beliefs that, that I want to dive into today and, and Maybe get to the root in your heart, and maybe there is, you know, possibly today God is going to show you how you fundamentally see it, and possibly you have been acting out in your life a view you didn't even know you had. But the view of what you practice and what you think are so far off, right? So look, I believe we have three different viewpoints that we live from, fundamental beliefs. Number one, sex is God. Sex is God. You might be like, John, what in the world are you talking about? How can sex be God? I, I believe this. This is sex is God is when a good thing becomes a, a God thing, then it becomes a bad thing. Essentially saying this, when, some, when, when you can't control yourself, when you can't control yourself, that's how you know you are mastered by it. That's how you know you are a slave to it. If you can't say no to it, and you just say things like, it is what it is, I, I just can't stop, I think you really need to dig into your heart and be like, okay, okay what is going on here? If, 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 if it's not something that you can control, that you can say, I'm not going to do this, but you keep on doing it, then maybe sex for you is, has a place in your life of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 challenges us with this. I brought this up last week. It says this here. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagan who do not know God. What he's saying here is as Christ followers, we should actually learn to control the vessel, the body, the sexual urges and proclivities that God has given us. And if we can't control, but we are controlled by, there's a big difference. If we are controlled by instead of being in control, then we have to ask, who is our God? Who is ruling over us? It's funny how we've even created a, like a, psych, like a psychological addictive term for this called sex addicts where it's it's like they actually do rehab and 
and, 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 and they're trying to shift the brain because honestly, the, you know, the, one of the most important sexual pieces of our body is our brains. There's a lot of things that kind of like go on. Have, there's a lot that I don't know, but, but there is a lot of brain activity involved in sex and it has a very addictive nature to it. I just think we need to be careful of calling sin medical issues. Where when, when, when we're starting to use the term sex addict, here's the thing, there's, there's a lot that I don't know, and I'm not judging, I am not a psychologist, neurologist, well, whatever, I don't, I don't, there's a lot that I don't know, but one thing that I do know is, is that in the heart of man is typically a desire for the things that are opposite of what God wants for us. And we've got to make sure, first off, is it a worship issue? Are you serving the wrong God? Has it not that you have become an addict, but have you become a slave? And there's a big difference. And what I believe we're calling addicts, we're actually a slave. Check out what Paul says, says here. He says this, 1 Corinthians 6, and this is Paul. He plants this church in the city of Corinth, and Corinth is like this, this like basically Vegas, okay? It's like the Vegas Middle East. It's like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth right? It's like it's a place of sexual promiscuity. It's just a place where you go and live and let loose. And they had temple worship, sexual prostitutes, temple worship going on there. Paul goes and plants a church in this city. And now he's trying to get them to see followers of Christ, followers of God. We think about and do sex differently. And this is one of the things that Paul says here. He says, I've got the right to do anything. And what he's doing, he's quoting them. That's what the people in Corinth say. I have the right to do anything, you say. But Paul's like, not everything's beneficial. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. What, what Paul is saying, yeah, you might say, well, I've got the right to do anything, but it's not that you've got the right, it's that you've become mastered by it. A good thing has become a God thing, which makes it a bad thing. And then he goes in here, you say, food for the stomach and stomach for food. And this was actually a statement in Corinth where people basically saying, I'm hungry, so I eat. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. I get the desire, I do it. I get the urge to eat, what's there to eat? Food. I have a sexual urge, oh, that's why, you know, there's other, that's why there's other people. Food for the stomach, stomach for food. But then he goes on and says, but God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for your sexual capades. That's different than the words there. But you know what I'm saying. But your body is meant for the Lord and your Lord for the body. Here's the thing. If you're controlled or mastered by it, it's your God. And I say that with all love, y'all. A sign that you are free is that the, you have the ability to control your body and use it in a God-honoring, God-glorifying way. And my prayer for us is that we would, we would be people of control. And what it said there in 1 Thessalonians 4, it said that we learn to control, not in passionate lust, that we are not people of impulse. People that follow Christ should not be people of impulse. We should be people of principle. 
We should be people of obedience, that we have put aside the old way and taken on the new way, the God-honoring way of life. Secondly, you, you, you know, sex it might not be God to you, but sex might be gross to you. And really, this is to- on the total opposite end of the spectrum here, where, you know, you just see sex as being dirty and, 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 and something that, you know, should be just done for procreation and just an animal instinct in you. And, and you almost try to suppress desire because you know where it could ultimately lead. And so you're going around telling everybody, you know, you're, you know, you shouldn't do it and blah, blah, blah. And it's, 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 it's bad, you know. And then two, if you've been in church and you've possibly been in church where it's just always been talked about as being like this, this sacred forbidden fruit that you should never even enjoy in marriage. It's just, you know, it's, it's save it for your husband. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not good, but save it for your husband. You know, it's just like, it, it can, it can, like churches can sometimes make it just weird and bad. It's almost like even if you're going to enjoy it, it's, it's, like, it's like a sin, even if it's done in the context of a right covenant, a right relationship. And I believe we've got to really be careful because Christians have done a great job of doing this over many centuries. You know, early churches, right? You know, back in, you know, after Jesus died and, and churches started to actually spring up, early church fathers would actually control the sex lives of people in, in their church. They would, they, would, they would actually tell them, all right, in this time period, you can do it. In this time period, you can't. Wouldn't that be weird if I just sought you in an email? <laughs> hey, hey, everybody. It's green week. <laughs> it's weird. But the church had this whole thing of, well, since it can be abused, we're going to control it, right? And here's the thing. The church has never been called to have that sort of control. We're called to teach you how to use something in a God-honoring and God-glorifying and God way. So why? So it can be a blessing in your life. And so you're not enslaved to it. But at the same time, you don't think of it as being gross. You use it in a God-honoring, God-glorifying way. I mean, churches can be funny, man, because we have, churches create rules on rules on rules to keep people from the rule. Aren't churches good at that? Churches have good intentions because they're like, well, we're trying to keep people from sin. But then you go into legalism, where you're now trying to control people's lives. Churches are not called to indulge in legalism. We're called to teach you what God says about it and encourage you to practice it in a God-honoring and God-glorifying way. So you know what? Maybe for you, sex has always been gross because your church taught it that way. Maybe because at one time you were actually ruled by it. Sex was your God, and now you've gotten out of that life, and now since it was a God in your life, you want to keep other people from it, so you're just telling people how bad it is. But also, too, maybe it's a, you think of it as gross because you've been sinned against. Maybe you were sexually abused, assaulted, raped, cheated on. These are real and affect how you think and affect how you act. And I want to let you know, if that is you, if you have been there, 
where you've been taken advantage of sexually without your consent, without your willful choice, there's freedom in Jesus' name. There is freedom. Because Jesus on the cross doesn't just free people from the sin they've done. It frees you from the sin that has been committed against you. There's power in the blood to forgive you of your sin. And also power in the blood for you to forgive others that have sinned against you. In the name of Jesus. And I believe to, today God wants to bring you that freedom wants to start you in, on that process, wants to bring you along because I believe this, if you haven't dealt with that, you're living from it. You can't heal what you don't name. You can't heal what you don't confront. And some people here, you've probably stuffed your experience and you've even got inside of, of you this, this somewhat untrustworthy nature, even towards your own husband because of what you experienced probably from some other guy. And if you have, you, you need to deal with that. And I say that in a loving father way. You need to deal with it. Why? Because if you don't name it, you won't heal it. If you don't confront it, God can't heal it. And look, we want to let you know we are a safe place here. Whether it's us pointing you in the, in the direction of getting counseling or getting help. We want you to be free, church. And there's freedom in Jesus' name. So I'm not sure where sex is for you, whether it's a God or whether it's gross. But ultimately, what we want to impress upon you today is that sex is a gift. We don't, we don't want people to be enslaved to every impulse. We don't want to be legalist church that tells you when you're going to do it. In your marriage relationship, we want to teach and, and get you in the mindset of is that sex is a gift from God. Hebrews 13.4 tells us this. It's the message version. It says, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. You know, y'all, Satan's crafty. Satan has never created anything, but he always distorts what God made. And he always takes it and try to twist and turn it to take a good thing and tries to make it in your life a God thing so it becomes a bad thing and something that enslaves you instead of something that blesses you. That's Satan, y'all. He's been doing it forever. Forever. Check, check this out. Genesis 3. This is back, I mean, before sin came into the world. And sin, if you have been in church, sin is a churchy word that basically means you do what you want without caring about what God says. That's essentially what sin is. Sin is just like doing what you want, not caring about accountability, not, not, not giving God access into your life. Sin is like you, you doing you, boo-boo, right? You don't need no help. You don't need no, you, you don't need no buddy. But in Genesis 3, when Satan comes and tempts Adam and tempts Eve, what you see here is he told three lies that these are the same three lies our culture tells us ab about sex, y'all. It's the same thing. Let me break it down to you first off. The first thing that, that Satan says to Eve to get her to go back on what God said and what God was like, this is the best way to do it. And God had them set up, man. It was Adam and Eve naked in a garden and said, be fruitful and multiply. He gave them a bunch of trees. He gave them, I mean, they, they had... They, God had given them so much, but it was the one tree that he said, look, this is sacred. This is mine. Don't, don't touch this. 
And what did Satan do? He took the one thing that God said, this is mine, and told these three lives, lies to Satan to, to, to twist her thinking about a good thing. Did God really say? Did God really say that? And we do that now. Did, did God really, really say? I mean, did he really say wait until we get married? I mean, but we love each other. We love each other. Granted, if, you know, if she stopped making money, I would drop her. But I love her. <laughs> I really do love her. We're going to get married anyway. God said it. And there's a reason he said it. It's because God wants sex to be a gift that people that are in a covenant relation that have said, I give my life to you. I give, I well, I, to people standing not just before each other, but before God and saying, I give my life to you. I will lay my life down for you. God says, if it's not in that kind of relationship, if there hasn't been a commitment, if there hasn't been vows made, then I think it is clear that God says that needs to be the process by which it happens. Did God really say, yes, God said it. Marriage needs to be honored. Sex is off limits until you make a covenant with each other. Two, Satan said, you will not certainly die. So what he's trying to do is there won't be any consequences for your actions. Do you, boo-boo. Go out, do you, have fun, there will not be any consequences. Just go do it. Are you kidding me? God loves you. He'll forgive you. And though that is true, God will forgive you. There is no doubt about it. But at the same time, you got to also know Scripture teaches clearly that we will reap what we sow. God is a God of justice. And, and not that he wants to, not, you know, it's not that he's kind of sitting there waiting. Oh, yes, I can't wait until they mess up. No, it's like if, it's, it would be like my kids, and I, I just felt like I've gotten so much more perspective of God since I've had kids, okay? <laughs> Where I'm like, I give them guidelines of knowing if they go out of this guideline, it's going to be for their detriment. It's not going to be good for them. And I'm not just trying to withhold something from them. I'm trying to develop something in them. Because look, if you think about it, spouses, partners, whatever you are here, if you will compromise before the relationship, who's to say you won't compromise after the relationship? And that's just what I just think we have to be careful of is pattern creating. And that's one of the reasons why I think God challenge, challenge, challenges us. Sex is for marriage. There is consequences. You know, but that is a lie. Third, and this is, I believe, one of the most powerful lies that Satan told. God's holding something back from you. God knows when you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. So do you know what God's doing? God's being mean. God's, what a punk God. What a jerk God is. He would hold something as awesome as that fruit from you. I can't believe it. What a punk. Do you know every sin starts as a character assassination of God? It's us thinking God doesn't want the best for us. 
And that's, what I, and, and that's what I believe sexually, is that whenever we hear God wants us to wait, we actually hear God doesn't love us. We actually hear, does God not know how good this feels? We actually hear, um, yeah, God just doesn't like us. No, it's, it's, it's God created sex. I hope you know that. He made it. He knows the best context for it to go in. And he knows that it is not in a whatever relationship with somebody. It's not just hit it, quit it. It's not that. It's in the context of a loving relationship and a covenant relationship marriage. Check this out. First Corinthians 6, verse 16 through 20, it tells us this. It says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. And you know that's true. You try to fulfill that sexual desire in, in you, and you just know it leaves you more hungrier than ever. That's why Jesus in John chapter 4, whenever he encountered the woman at the well, he, he, he said, hey, I know you're on your sixth husband, or you're on your, you've had five husbands. The one you're with is not even the one you're married to. And then she got all spiritual on him. Oh, I see you a prophet. <laughs> well, you know, I, I went to church a few times. But what Jesus was ultimately doing was showing her the water that she was going to get at that well was actually her seeking water in her soul. And what he was saying is you get this water and you become thirsty again. But you get the water that I give you and you'll never go thirsty again. We have a thirsty generation, y'all, that is trying to find sexual satisfaction and sexual intimacy in all the wrong places, thinking, well, this person will give it to me, that person will give it to me, and that is the nature of lust, y'all. Lust promises what it can't deliver. Lust says, get this, then you'll be happy, but you know what actually happens is, is, is that whenever you get what you're so-called lusting for, it just creates a bigger appetite where you become then enslaved and ruled by it. We must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own body, church, family. Do you know the sacredness of your body? Do you know how sacred your body is? It is a sacred thing that God has given you to steward. It says, but these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, essentially saying your life was given to you to model the kind of love that God has for you. Or becoming one with one another. Or don't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Church, you were not created just to live for sexual pleasure. You were, you were created to live and show and live for God's glory. You were created to, to be bought from death to life and then go and show the world who God is and what God's life through the way that you live your life. And a big part of that is how you operate sexually. Do you know one of the best ways that we can shout to this world, who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, is if we actually stuck to the sexual standard written in this book. Because one of the biggest reasons why people think that we're a bunch of, we're a crock, 
is because there's no difference from the culture to the church. And they consider our faith a load of garbage, not because we don't speak enough, but because we don't live it enough. Think about the testimony we could have if the church said, we're going to honor God with our bodies. We realize this isn't ours. We realize we don't own this. We realize this is on loan. We realize we are called to be stewards of our bodies, and we're going to steward our bodies and live our lives sexually in a way that honors and pleases God. How does this work out practically? Think about it, men. You're at your job. A beautiful woman walks by. All the guys are doing what all the guys do. Exactly. Exactly. And what if instead of you were just and then the guy, oh man, what's up? What's up with you, bro? What? Oh, you go to church a few times and now you're trying to be all good on us, right? Oh, okay, all right, man. You you trying to be all good. Ooh, holy, holy John now, huh? Holy, holy, holy John. Why don't you look at her, man? Because she's made in the image of God. She's sacred. I'm not going to dishonor her. Think about it, ladies. You got your friends. They want to go out to the club and get wasted. They wake up in someone's bed that they don't even know. You say, not, not doing that. I'm not going there. This is sacred. I want to honor God. Think about how that would actually open the door to tell them about your faith. Because, y'all, what the world is aching for and yearning for more than your great theology or more than your good words about the, the Ten Commandments and the Romans road of salvation, do you know what they're yearning for? People to live it. And one of the greatest ways we can shout to this world who God is and, and what God's like, our ultimate purpose is to show them how we live sexually. Think about this, 1 Peter 2.10. We're going to close here. Worship team, y'all can come up. Aren't y'all glad? I'm closing. Is everyone okay? Anyone passed out? You need to get the purple cloths out? We'll just say, oh, they went out in the Holy Spirit. They actually just passed out. <laughs> Let's put a cloth over them. Yep. Medics, thank God Dan's here. Okay, good. Um says this here, 1 Peter 2, but you are ones. And Paul saying this, or, or Peter's saying this to the, to the church. He's saying to the church, look, church, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted. Like, this is your purpose, church. It's not to be enslaved by sexual pleasure. It's not to be out here being this legalists like sex is bad it's saying you're called to be a vessel of god's glory of saying i'm going to take the good thing that god created sex and use it in its god intended context for its god intended purpose to shout and share and show the world who god is and what god's like that's my sermon church i want you to see it as a gift i want you to see it as good I don't want you to have a life-controlling slavery to this good thing that God made. I don't want Christians calling it a bunch of crap, calling it a a load of stuff. Take it and let's use it for what God intended it to be. And do you know what ultimately sex is? is? It is the physical act and representation of what a couple becomes one in the spirit realm. 
It's a symbol. You know what this is? This is a symbol of the love that I have and the covenant that I made with my wife. And do you know what sex ultimately is? It's a physical representation of what you and your spouse have become one in the spirit. That's the power of it. And I don't care how much culture tries to cheapen it and casualize it. I pray that we would really see it as what it is. It is a gift. My call to us, church, as the people of God, let's use sex as a tool to show God's glory and his goodness. Not that we have been enslaved by, not that we're calling it bad, but we're using it for its God-intended purpose, for its God-intended purpose. Can we all stand up, family? I know this, that, you know, a sermon of this kind of weight and sometimes it's kind of just like awkwardness. And like I said, I don't know what I've said that might, you know, I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in, in your heart or what God's speaking to you. But at the same time, I just felt like after this here, we're, we're just gonna take some time and we're just, just gonna sing and we're just gonna, I just wanna give you some time to think about and process what, what God spoke to you today. And then if you feel led to respond, because I believe this, when God's word is brought forth, it deserves a response from us. So look, I don't know how you view sex. Maybe you're enslaved by it right now. You are in this place and you know you have no control. And you've tried, to, you've tried everything, but you are controlled. Maybe you're over here, you think of sex is gross. Maybe you've been sexually sinned against and you even have a skewed view and you need God to free you from someone that sinned against you. I'm not sure where you're at. I don't know if you just need to shift your thinking from to it being a gift. Like, I just, I just know that I just want to take some time and just have some time for us to just process and think about. So look, man, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have some people up here. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.